This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Words of integration and guidance. In many cases, people who've become aware of their mortality find that they've gained the freedom to live. They're seized with an appreciation for the present. Every day is my best day. This is my life. I'm not going to have this moment again. They spend more time with the things and the people they love and less time on people and pastimes that don't offer love or joy. This seems like such a simple thought. Shouldn't we all spend our lives this way? But we tend not to make those kind of choices until somebody says, you have 12 months to live. A reading of scripture from the Wisdom of Solomon 6, 12 through 16. Wisdom is radiant and unfading, and she is easily discerned by those who love her and is found by those who seek her. She hastens to make herself known to those who desire her. One who rises early to seek her will have no difficulty, for she will be found sitting at the gate. To fix one's thought on her is perfect understanding. And one who is vigilant on her account will soon be free from care. Because she goes about seeking those worthy of her, and she graciously appears to them in their paths and meets them in every thought. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, And the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Keep awake, Jesus says in our text. Keep awake. You don't know the day or the hour. It's often understood that Jesus is talking here about Judgment Day or about his second coming. 
and that it may come in the blink of an eye. Be awake or you might miss it. I spent some time at a Bible camp as a child where there was a high focus on the second coming of Jesus and on a particular version of that known as the rapture. Some of you are familiar with that. That's uh, the version where I think Jesus comes in two parts. And part one is where Jesus comes part way. He's coming to earth and then stops in the clouds. And then we kind of go up in the sky to meet Jesus, right? Somewhere up in the clouds, kind of check in and then go up to heaven before Jesus comes back and kind of guns blazing and cleans house. Um, And so that was kind of the, the focus in a big way. And so, you know, Jesus is coming at any moment, be ready. And we would, you know, we would jump in the air for what we called, what did you call that? Rapture practice. Some, some of you know this. Yeah, Eric, Eric's, Eric's practice, I could tell. He tells us he's out running every day, but we, we know what he's practicing for. That's awesome. It was like the old bumper sticker, uh, Jesus is coming back. Quick, look busy. <laughs> and so I used to be deathly afraid that Jesus was going to come back when I was at a movie. You know, I, and it wasn't that I was watching a bad movie, it's just that it was awkward. You know, like, here I am with my big tub of popcorn and an and a extra large Coke, and here he is coming back to, you know, to judge the world and do important things, and I'm sitting there worried about whether E.T. makes it home or not. You know, not a great first impression. Is that what Jesus is talking about here? When he says, keep awake, does that mean keep your eyes open because the end of the world is right around the corner? Well, let's explore a little. In the story, we have ten bridesmaids, or classically translated, ten virgins, who are at a wedding and are ready to go out and meet the bridegroom. As Jesus tells it, five of them were wise and five were foolish. All of them had lamps, but of course only the wise thought to bring extra oil for those lamps. Now in the story, the bridegroom is delayed. Maybe he's stuck in traffic or maybe getting that last minute photo shoot in with the groomsmen. It's hard to say why the delay. But as he's delayed, the text tells us all of them, that is all of the bridesmaids, became drowsy and they all fell asleep. Now remember, Jesus has told us, as he ends this story, stay awake, right? But in the story, where half of these women are wise and half are foolish, all of them fell asleep. So that's a relief to me, because we could think that maybe Jesus is calling for an all-nighter, or that if the kingdom of God is about who can live on the least amount of sleep, and if that's the case, then I'm in trouble, because I just need my eight hours of sleep. You know what I mean? I feel like some of us talked about this lately. If I get less than eight hours, it's not good for anyone. So that's why last week's time change happening on a Saturday night was perfect. And in the kingdom of heaven, I believe that preachers will get an extra hour of sleep every Saturday night. Because that's really how it should be. But it's a huge relief that you can be one of the wise in this story and still go to sleep. The question seems to be, when a certain moment comes, will you be ready? At midnight, there's a shout, look, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And of course, the foolish realize they've run out of oil, 
and apparently they'd get lost in the dark without their lamps. And I guess the wise are wise enough not to share their oil? I don't know. It feels like they're a little selfish there, but they don't share the oil. They say, nope, go to town, get your own. But of course, the time for going to town was before they went to sleep. So while they are out looking for a 7-Eleven, the bridegroom shows up, the wise go into the wedding banquet with him, and the doors are shut. Remember, this happens after midnight, and the wedding banquet then begins, so it's pretty late, late goings on. Well, the other bridesmaids finally get to the 7-Eleven, which took longer than expected, of course, because they didn't accept credit cards and they didn't have any cash. So they had to make that extra stop at the ATM, which was a complete hassle. And by the time they get back with their oil, the party has started, the doors are shut, and they're left out. Keep awake. Therefore, you don't know either the time nor the hour. So what in the world is Jesus saying here? It does kind of feel like a second coming judgment day kind of story, doesn't it? Be ready or get left behind. Maybe we should think about that rapture practice after all. Well, let's dig a little deeper. The idea of the coming of the bridegroom uh, could refer to the parousia, the coming of the Messiah, which is often understood to be uh, a second coming of Jesus, though a number of scholars note that when Jesus is talking about what seems a second coming, he's actually talking about things that are yet to unfold in his lifetime, his coming into Jerusalem, his going to the cross, his uh, resurrection and ascension. It could also be referring to meeting God when we die. And I think there's something to this, because uh, falling asleep is one of Jesus' favorite terms for dying. And in the story, all ten women fall asleep. So that's another way to perhaps think of it. And what are the lamps that these uh, women are carrying? And what is the oil? Who sells the oil and how do we get it? And why is having enough oil the criterion for getting in the door? Do we somehow buy or earn our way into the wedding banquet? Well, author and scholar Brad Jerzak uh, has done some work on this that I found very helpful, so I'm going to lean on him uh, a little bit this morning. And so we need to do a little, a little background here, which I trust you'll bear with me. He notes that in Second Temple Judaism, which is the, the Judaism uh, leading to and in Jesus' day, the mercy of almsgiving or giving to the poor had become nearly synonymous with righteousness, which was called tzedakah. It could also be translated justice or charity. Jesus uh, says in Matthew 6, 1-2, be careful not to do your acts of tzedakah before men to be seen by them, your acts of uh, justice or charity. And so showing mercy to the poor through almsgiving was like investing in your heavenly bank account. And it seems that the rabbis were working off of passages like Proverbs 19.17, which says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. And so Jewish teachers applied this to mean that when you give to the poor in this life, your investment will be returned by blessedness in the next life. 
Now, Jesus, maybe, is playing off this same idea, right? When he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, we don't often think of it that way. And also remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. That parable directly identifies the treatment of the poor with what happens after you die. So too, the parable of the sheep and the goats at the end of Matthew chapter 25, which, by the way, is the same chapter as our stories in this morning. Our parable of the ten bridesmaids begins chapter 25. The parable of the sheep and the goats ends chapter 25. So sort of cap uh, that chapter. And at the end of the parable of the sheep and goats, you remember it was the ones who cared for the hungry, the sick, the poor, those in prison, who are the ones that Jesus welcomed into his glory. What Jesus seems to add to the rabbinical discussion is his rebuke of those who are uh, practicing almsgiving and fasting as an outward show of their own uh, religious pride. And Jesus assures those who do that that you've already received your reward in full. Don't expect a later reward. If you're doing this for the wrong reasons or just to show off or just to show everybody how spiritual and religious you are, that will be its own reward. He also noted that you could give your outward tithes and still miss completely the deeper matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So that's a little background. Uh, But what does that have to do with our story about the seeming arbitrariness of having enough oil? Well, Jerzak proposes that we take a closer look at the oil. And he says that in our story, oil can be identified with mercy or acts of mercy or how we act to those uh, on the margins in our own society. And he says the reasons for this are both textual and contextual. In other words, if we look at the words in uh, the story itself, as well as the surrounding context, we can find um, justification for this. The word for mercy in Greek is eleos. Eleos. The verb to show mercy is eleo. The word olive is elea. And olive oil is Elean. I won't ask you to repeat those back. (laughs) Mercy, Eleas, Eleo, uh, to show mercy, Elea, and Elean, olive and olive oil. Very similar uh, linguistically in spelling and in sound. Now, that doesn't always mean something. Sometimes it's just coincidental and words sound alike uh, with no connection. But I think here we maybe are onto something. What were the uses of olive oil in the ancient world? Olive oil was, as in our store, used as fuel for lamps. It was used for healing of the sick. You would anoint someone with oil as you were healing them, praying for them, for anointing the head and the body at feasts. And also it's mentioned among articles of commerce. And in fact, olive oil was so valuable that you could use it in place of uh, actual money or cash. 
And some say that olive trees were actually named after mercy because of the abundance of olive trees in ancient Palestine and the amount of olives and olive oil were so abundant that it reflected the mercy that God shows to us and that we are to offer to each other. And so there was this ancient connection between mercy and olive oil. So in addition to the textual clues here, we also have the context of this chapter, um, which we've already noted begins with our parable and ends with the parable of the sheep and the goats. And in the middle is the parable of the talents. In all three parables, there is a return theme. The bridegroom returns, the master returns, the son of man returns. Now, some have noted uh, that this is talking about a second coming of Jesus, or as I've already said, others will say this is referring to events yet to unfold in Jesus' own life or the aftermath uh, in the life of ancient Israel. Jesus also says in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. But that doesn't sound quite right to us theologically. In fact, perhaps a lot of what I've said doesn't quite sound right to us theologically because it sounds like our receiving mercy from God is dependent on our offering mercy to others. Right? So any of us raised in sort of a, a, a Protestant uh, salvation by grace alone background, we'd sort of have... Right? Warning things firing in the back of my mind. Well, this can't be right, right? We know theologically that what Jesus is saying is wrong. It can't be right. Or we're just understanding it wrong. But I think often we take our theology and then apply it to Scripture and read Scripture through our theology rather than just allowing the text to say what it does and to maybe put a wrinkle or two into what we think we already know. So, you know, I can't answer all these questions. I don't know how it's all going to square in the end. But I do know that Jesus is stressing that it is incredibly important that we care for each other. That's what I think he's saying. Do not underestimate how much it matters to God how you care for each other. The wise in this parable have oil. How do we get this oil? by extending mercy to others. Be awake, Jesus says. You don't know the day or the hour. Now, despite the apocalyptic tenor of this chapter and parable, I tend to not think of this in terms of sort of space-time being suddenly interrupted by uh, a cosmic being riding a horse out of the clouds and armed with a sword, ready to do some house cleaning, as we see in many popular renditions uh, of the end of the world. And in fact, Brian McLaren, among others, notes that the second coming of Christ, framed in this way, may actually not have biblical warrant, because it leads us to believe that in the end, even God can't fix the world or solve his, uh, the problems present in it apart from violence and coercion. And further, those who are shaped by this theology that God is coming back to kick some you-know-what tend to feel validated by God to do such rear-end kicking of their own. We're shaped by our theology often, I think, more than we realize. 
George Gurdjieff, the Greco-Armenian mystic, said, you can never awaken by the same system that put you to sleep in the first place. So I think we need a better eschatology or a better theology than a Jesus is coming soon approach. I tend to see it as many theologians do that we are the return of Christ that we are waiting for. As Teresa of Avila put it, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion out on the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body on earth but yours. I would frame what Jesus is saying this way. Keep awake. It is always the day or the hour for compassion, mercy, and joy. Every time we share a meal with someone who is hungry, we extend mercy. And every time we ask, why is our society arranged in such a way that so many people do go hungry, we begin to wake up. Every time we open our doors to an immigrant or a refugee, we extend mercy. And every time we ask why people are fleeing their homelands because of unnecessary wars and conflicts, we begin to wake up. Every time we see discrimination or harassment and speak out, We extend mercy. And every time we work for laws that make discrimination illegal, we begin to wake up. Every time we learn about the depth of white privilege that has infiltrated our society and benefits many of us, we begin to wake up. Every time we see someone who is hurting or a planet that is in pain and do something, we pour out the olive oil of mercy, healing, grace, and love. If we're sitting around waiting for God to end the world and fix everything in a flash, we might as well go back to sleep. But Jesus reminds us it is always the right time to be awake to be watchful, to be woke. Amen. Namaste.
to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.